Hello, um, thank you all for coming. This play is set in Stockport, and you are both from Stockport. And there's a bit of a story about how the play was written, and so can you sort of fill us in on that? Yeah. Um, it's quite lengthy. It could take the whole half hour. Well, that'd be all right. That'd be quite good. It's that'd be good your, your money earned well <laughs> there, wouldn't it? It's a good it? story. No, I mean, it's... Marianne came to see this play, Herons, which was a play that was written at the, uh, was the Royal Court Theatre upstairs, and she bounded up to me in the bar. And she said to me, I love that, I love that. Write something epic for me and I'll direct it at the Royal Exchange, which is where she was artistic director. And her enthusiasm was palpable and infectious and I had absolutely no idea what she meant by the adjective epic. Up to that point, every play that I'd written had taken place with quite a kind of close, unconscious adherence to Aristotelian unity in that it was written, they, they were set over the course of hours, perhaps 24 hours at most. It struck me that introducing the element of time to this play might give it an epic quality. I'd spent about six months trying to write a play about a man going back to Stockport, which was my hometown, which is where we first met one another before realising who we were, where we spent... Well, actually, yeah, I'd, we should tell that story, shouldn't we, actually, about how we knew we didn't know who we were, but, uh, but we, you know... Uh, <laughs> And um, couldn't do it. Just couldn't write this play about this guy going back to Stockport. And then I was sharing an office with the brilliant playwright Leo Butler. Those of you who are interested in British contemporary plays, you must read the entire works of Leo Butler, which are almost certainly on sale in the bookshop. Um, go and buy a copy. I'll sign that. For you. <laughs> He's going to write that joke. Yeah. He, um, um, he wrote a play called Redundant in 2001. And I was sharing an office with him when he wrote it. In the late 80s and 90s, which is when I started writing, it was kind of an unspoken understanding that men shouldn't write women roles because there's no way we could possibly understand them. And that women could probably understand men more, but men certainly couldn't write women. So from that point in my career, I'd never, I'd never written a female character. I read Leo's play Redundant in one sitting, and at the heart of this play, he put a dynamic and strong and ferocious female character, and I decided to steal that, and that my play about a man going back to Stockport shouldn't be about a man returning to Stockport, but should be about a woman. And it struck me that if I inverted the gender of it, then they, I could invert the dynamic behind it as well. And rather than being about a woman going back to her hometown, it should be about a girl growing up and leaving it. And the impulse to leave a town was innately more dramatic than the impulse to return to me at that time. Um, I went, back to my, I went back to Stockport and I, I did interviews. I'd never really done interviews before. So I, I, I'd, never, I'd never written with a female protagonist before. I'd never written about my hometown before, you know. I'd only ever written about London and Edinburgh and York and the towns that I moved to. I'd never written about my hometown. I used the residency at the Royal Exchange to try and write about my hometown. Never written about a woman, never written about Stockport, never written a play that, lasted, that, that was set over the course of more than 12 hours and never done interviews. And I interviewed a whole series of about kind of eight women who'd lived in Stockport all their lives from various ages, from about 18 to about 80. And those interviews gave me the kind of material which I shaped into port. I decided to set it over the course of eight minute... I was interested in minutiae at the writer at the, at the time, as a writer at the time. The play's got a quote by Raymond Carver at the front of it, and I was really inspired by Raymond Carver's detail and his attention to the minute and how the minute in life carries with it universes. And I decided, with it, I decided that Port should be a play built over eight minute moments, but the minute moments should be spread out over the course of 13 years. 
and then maybe the cumulative force of those, those 13 years would give it the epic quality that Marianne was looking for. So when, you when it's quite a big thing if someone's written a play for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you read it, I mean, what was it like? Would I, 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 um, well, I think um, I possibly have quite a complicated relationship with the play. I, I read it first, knowing that Simon had written it, um, for, for, well, not for me, was no, it? No, kind of yeah. for you. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I read it... You didn't want to do it, though, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read it the first time, and I wasn't sure about it at all, um, which is how I often feel when I read plays the first time, particularly Simon Stevens' plays. And I read it again, and I couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying. And I didn't know why. I didn't know what... Why, why it had such a resonance with me. Mm. You know, I often think that. I often think when you choose a play as a director, you don't really know why you fall in love with it because how can you ever fully articulate why you fall in love with anything or anyone? Mm. Um, but you do. And I did, and I was desperate to do it, desperate to direct it. And then um, I was allowed to, thankfully. And... Um, it turned out to be the last show that I did at the Royal Exchange. I think I was there for 10 years, and it was my last show, and I knew it was going to be my last show, and I sort of left under kind of duress, I suppose, um, uh, but it had been in a very powerful time for me there, mm. uh, and I knew that I was going to leave Manchester. I knew that I was going to get married. I knew that I was moving to London. I knew there was a whole new... Uh, era starting for me yeah. and so it was even more powerful then because it was about it's about le leaving yes, we always knew that we lived in Stockport at the same time this that was is something story. this is the story <laughs> we always knew this and that's actually when Rachel was interviewing us for the program that I had this kind of epiphany I knew that she lived very close to where I used to live at the same time that I was living there there was actually a, 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 a club, a tennis club. My parents were quite fond of drinking alcohol. And, and you probably and, tell from most of his plays. Yeah. Um, and um, there was a long time when they used to just kind of leave us in the car with a bottle of Coke and a packet of crisps, which I quite liked. But then they found if they go to the tennis club, that they could bring us in with them. So they never played tennis, but they used to go drinking there and we'd go and play. And your house backed onto it, yes? So I knew this from way back in the day. And then we kind of started talking about what bus we got to school. And we realised that we got the same bus to school. Actually, the same bus. And then we started talking about what bus stop we got on to get this bus to go to school. And we realised that we used to get on at the same bus stop to get the same bus to go to school. And then, like a kind of thunderbolt, I realised that I remembered her. From when I was 13, I remembered this kind of 17-year-old girl from the grammar school. Who was really gorgeous. Who was really gorgeous. <laughs> but quite a lot older than me. 
<laughs> so, and, and, I and it was Marianne, it's absolutely sure, you know, it completely was her. So, you know, our connection. It's strange that you only remembered it on that day when yeah, we were in the rehearsal yeah, room. Yeah. It, was, it was quite mind-blowing because when you think about the people that you used to stand at the bus stop going to school, and that one day one of them would actually have a very significant part in your life. Yeah. It's just crazy how small the world is. Yeah. Um, and then, so now, if we cut to now, and yeah. and the fact that you've put it on again all this time later, and all these different things have have changed. You're both older, and uh, you've moved to London. And so, why did you decide to do it? First of all, you tell us why you decided to do it again, and then perhaps Simon, you could just say a little bit about feeling of it coming to London because it, it you know it didn't and now it has and that must be rather a satisfying thing so Marianne you go first yeah okay so I, I knew I had this slot in the Littleton because I'm an associate here which means that I've got a certain amount of shows I do a certain amount of shows here which is inc incredibly lucky and I knew that this slot was coming up and I was going to be doing something in this slot and um that sent me searching for what would fit in the Littleton. Because um, obviously it's a particular, particular size space and it's 900 seats and it's, you know, it's a big old shebang, isn't it, really? So I, I started looking for things and I kind of got a bit, oh, I don't really want to do a classic play, which is what we do here. I, I, I looked at all sorts of period pieces, which I've done in the past and obviously I, that's, lots of them are amazing, but I sort of found myself thinking, I'd love to do something modern, you know, I'd like to do something that's really now, and I'd like to do a modern classic. Mm. That, that's quite difficult because um, a lot of people would say that you shouldn't do modern plays on this stage, or, or, or modern plays don't have the same resonances possibly as, as, as uh, classics that have survived many, many, many years. Um, but I wanted to be brave, you know, and I then thought about, well, what modern classic could it be? And obviously I thought of Simon because I have a, a massive affinity to Simon's work. And I remembered Port and I'd never do a show again, never, ever, ever. It's a bad, 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 bad idea. <laughs> Apart from Warhorse, which I seem to be doing quite a lot again. <laughs> um, but um, but it's, it's a bad idea. We had a wonderful time doing it the first time. It meant so much to me. Um, it was in the round, you know. The audience were on top of it, inside it, with the characters. <coughs> Generally, don't touch it again. Leave well alone. But I, I thought, but it's a beautiful play, and it, it still means so much to me, and it means different things to me now. Um, I think that it's a very political play in a way that I possibly hadn't really properly taken on last time. Um, and I thought, we, this is the sort of thing we should be doing. We should be able to do this sort of thing. It's the National Theatre. We should be doing very eclectic work. Um, and so I suggested it with Ben Power, who's a, 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 a dramaturg here, who also was very keen to do it. Uh, to, I, so we suggested it to Nick Heitner, and, and he loved it. And he said, what do you think about doing it on the Littleton stage? And I said, yeah, what do you think about doing it on the Littleton stage? And we both went, yeah, let's do it on the Littleton stage. And I'm, I'm really glad that we have, because... Um, well, I mean, I'm sure some of you haven't seen it yet, so you will be making your 
own decisions about whether that was, that was right or, or wrong. Um, but I feel it makes a very big statement, political mm. statement, to put it on a big stage. And also, it's a lot of confidence in uh, living playwrights to do a living playwright on this stage, which we do occasionally, and we have done in the Olivier. We usually get burnt by it, uh, by the critics. They don't like us doing that. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's great to have the modern, relevant voice now here on big stages. Simon, does it feel like, un was it unfinished business that has now been finished bringing it here? I mean, it was thrilling, isn't it, to have it on here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to describe the production in 2002 as being unfinished no, business no, because no. it seems a bit pejorative no. to that production. No, no, which, I meant the lives no, no, of the no, play, no, 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 for production. sure. I think players' lives are never finished. Do you know what I mean? They kind of... That sounds enormously pretentious. I realised as soon as I said that, how pretentious <laughs> that sounds. But the, the, the nature of uh, theatre is that it's not like a novel, it's not like a painting, it's something that's a moment of life that, does, mm. that continues. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know if I think of it as being the end of a journey here, but it's a remarkable step on the journey of the play. And maybe, well, maybe this will be the last time this play is ever done, mm. and that's completely out of my hands. But what I do think is there's a gesture behind this play that 10 years on um, continues to surprise me and excite me. Uh, it means a huge amount to me 10 years later to go back to Stockport theatrically and really the part, you know, kind of elements of Stockport that I kind of really grew up around mm. and to see those on a stage of this grandeur means, means a huge amount. Mm. Uh, it means a lot to me, and there's a metaphor in this, it means a lot to me to hear the stone roses played enormously loud in the <laughs> Littleton Theatre. And actually, as a, as a fan of the stone roses, it means a lot to me to hear the stone roses played enormously loud in the Littleton Theatre. But actually, metaphorically, the gesture of the stone roses, mm. of a bunch of kind of gangly, spotty kind of morons from Manchester owning this stage, I think, is, I think, that, I think that gesture sits under the whole production. Mm. Um, there's a spirit of defiance to it and a spirit of kind of hope to it. Yeah. It's really remarkable to go back to an old play, you know, and I look at the plays that I've written in the past few years and plays like Wastwater and Three Kingdoms and Mourning, and um, they're a lot bleaker, they're a lot darker. Yeah. You know, they have a kind of savagery or, or, or a fear yeah. that define their metabolism yeah. more than the kind of optimism of port. Yeah, and this has a sweetness, doesn't it? Cause, partly because of being about... Being young and growing up, that always has that kind of Yeah, I don't know if I'd describe it as being sweet, but I think it has a I hope. don't mean in a cute sense. No, I, I think mean it has a, a kind of optimism to it. I think that the music thing is, is, is actually really important because we found when we were working on it that, um, that, that it's like a poem. I think of it as a poem because it's so uh, precise. And what seems like possibly naturalistic dialogue is, is incredibly thought through and delivered with um, a seeming sleight of hand, but has layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of meaning. Mm. But also uh, there's rhythms, there's rhythms to the piece we mm. found when we were rehearsing it um, this time. You know, I, I remember saying to the actors, Okay, these are sections, like section up all the, all the script, and this, this is a section, and this is a section, and this is a section. You know, a lot of directors do that. There's nothing new about that. 
But then we found that within the sections, we couldn't pause because actually there's a rhythm that takes you there and that takes you emotionally there. And then in between the sections, if you want to pause, because it's full of, full of thought, you can pause as long as you like. But then you start the next section, and you're on the next runway, if you like. It, it's, like it's like music. It's a, it's, well, I think it is. It's a piece of poetry. Um, can I finish what I was saying yeah. about optimism, though? Yeah. Because it's quite important to me. Um, and it, I think what I'd want to say is this. <clears throat> it's interesting that dramatists under conservative governments realise that optimism and hope and a faith in people and a faith in humanity is actually a radical position. Uh, because it strikes me that conservative governments often, and certainly I would think, think this government is defined by a rather cynical take on humanity uh, and, and their attitude towards what people are tends to be rather cynical. Uh, and it strikes me that what excites me about seeing this play in 2013 is the idea that you take the lives of people in a kind of pretty, a pretty destitute sinker state in the northwest of England, one of the five, one of the five poorest sinker states in the country, with uh, some of the highest level of illness in any part of this country, mm. and you dramatise their capacity for communication and hope and mm. aspiration and dignity, and that that is actually a deeply political gesture. Mm. Uh, and I hadn't realised that when Marianne rang me up and said, "What would you feel about doing port again?" But that's the one thing that's excited me most in this yes. revival, I think. Yeah. And this play has a couple of really obvious technical problems. Have I, has my voice gone odd? Has it gone odd? No. no. Um, there's a, a couple of really obvious technical things. The first thing is lots of the scenes are two people talking, and this is a very big stage. Can, can you just talk a little bit about tackling that? Because it, it, it is amazing how you've filled the space, I think. Yeah. Um, well, Lizzie Clacken, the designer, and I had lots of conversations about how the hell we might do it. And um, I think we, well, we came up with lots of thoughts. One, one is that the, the, the show is, uh, all the scenes are, are, are at night, yeah. apart from one where there's a glimmer of hope and the very, very end of the show. Um, so that was quite a good indication as to how we might stage it, because with a, such a huge stage like this, you've got to try and focus in <coughs> on, the, on the action. And as most of the scenes, as you say, are two-handers, that's quite a tall order. But we also realised that all the scenes were in semi-public places and um, all the scenes were um, in, in non-nurturing, non-home-like, non-restive places. And that they were all, um, what's the word, kind of, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the right word, slightly inappropriate. So, uh, you know, there are kids doing their homework in a hospital, uh, the family choose to sleep in the at night in the car, um, there's love in a bus shelter, you know, they're slightly incongruous uh, places. And uh, we decided that we wanted to go from very, very, very confined places where people were finding it difficult to breathe or you'd get somebody pacing up and down like a lion in a cage because it was too confined to huge concrete mass spaces where you get to lonely people on, in a landscape. This is very much based on Edward Hopper or 
Gregory Crudson, the photographer, who's also probably very influenced by Edward Hopper, where you get people in, an, in, a, in, a, in a landscape which is a townscape, if you like, uh, an urban scape. And there's usually windows involved, and windows usually indicate people. Um, but when you focus on the actual uh, subject matter of the painting or the photograph, or in this case, the stage, um, the characters are incredibly lonely in a town, townscape with windows which indicate uh, barriers and life beyond. And the other thing is that, as Simon said, this is over 13 years, and the, the actors who play Billy and Rachel, they have to go, go from being very small to being grown up. I mean, yeah. that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing because you, don't, you, but you hardly notice it when you're watching the play. It's only when it finishes you think, gosh, mm. they're grown up now. But you, so that presents various challenges, doesn't it? I mean, obviously the casting, for one thing, is you have to find someone who can physically do that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, there's not much you can say about, about that apart from we just have. Because yes, <laughs> Kate, Kate yeah, Flynn yeah. and Mike Noble are two of the most exciting young actors in Britain, I think. Mm. And, they, and the whole cast is extraordinary, mm. but their performance, the range of that is really... Down not, to them, you know, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. kind of is down. You're, you're down quite good them. at giving them notes and that. And, and also, and also Scott, I think, I, think, I think the other decision which is really brilliant is the employment of Scott Graham yeah. as a movement director. Scott Graham is uh, the artistic director of Frantic Assembly, mm. a really significant theatre yeah. company in the last kind of 15 years of this, this country for their introduction for a, a physicality into, into yeah. theatre. But what Scott's done in this production, I think, which is really exciting, is he's applied the level of attention to detail and physicality mm. that a Frantic Assembly show might bring to what has the patina of quite straightforward psychosocial realism. So the level of detail of Mike and Kate's performance is down to your precision and your eye, but also his as well, as well as their talent. I think the combination of the four of you working together mm. has been really extraordinary. Yeah, it has an energy all of yeah. its own, doesn't it? Yeah, but it, you don't necessarily realise that there's a choreographer at work yeah. unless you're really watchful, and then, and then it's, it's palpable, I think. The scene with the bus shelter, it's like they're like sort of wasps in a bottle, yeah. aren't they? Going round and round and round. It's fantastic, that yeah. scene. And other moments as well. I mean, you know, scenes in the hotel where they've got l less space to move in. Mm. There's just as much, mm. pr much precision and rigour to the movement there, I think. And it's just as balletic. Mm. So do, how does it... The first production that you did together, I mean, if you had to say how it has changed with the passage of years as as they pertain to you two? Because, you know, you were, you were sort of younger when you first did it, and now... Still very young. <laughs> I'm still younger than when Mary we, When we met... Um, <laughs> so rude. Why do you always say that, Bobby? So rude. <laughs> but when we met... Be it, <laughs> when we met before, you talked about the fact that, you know, your children had grown up and you could sort of measure the characters lives out in the through through the lives of your own children because they the passage of years was similar do you remember saying that um uh, I, I, I yeah i kind of do and it's you know my son's here today at the national and work experience and i kind of see him in the physicality of the characters in the play mm. in a way that 10 years ago i kind of probably remembered remembered my, m experiencing the experiences these characters have themselves mm. now i'm slightly more detached from it 
And, um, I think about my childhood quite a lot. I think, I think, I think all artists kind of mull on their own experiences, and I think nostalgia and creativity come from the same part of the brain. So if, if, when writing about, uh, when creating anything, you draw from your own youth and you draw from uh, incomplete experiences. But also, I, I do observe my own kids, and I kind of think about them. And I, and I was a teacher and continue to teach now. I have a tremendous amount of affection for young people. I actually think that the one thing that might save us is the fact that <laughs> our youth have such capacity for creativity and intelligence. Mm. Uh, and uh, at a time where it's, it's kind of become rather unfashionable mm. to sustain a faith in young people. I really do. I think, well, the night, I think they're all right. Actually, the night I saw Port, there was a massive group, of yeah. get, and they were having the best time of Great. their lives. They were laughing their heads off. That's my favourite thing about this, the gesture of putting this play yeah, in this theatre. Because really. you could put it in the shed, and it would get a young audience, because there would be a young audience in the shed. You know, you could put it at the Lyric Hammersmith, which is where I work, and we always get a young audience. Mm. You put it in the Cottesloe when you get a young audience, but putting it in the Littleton, the gesture is much more confident mm. about the importance of getting behind a young theatre yeah. audience here. And that's been really tremendously exciting, yeah. I think. Now, look, I'm so sorry, but we have to end. So thank you so much. Thanks so much. And thanks to Mary. Thank you.